In the first chapter of Colossians, like I said, if, if I had time, we'd read the whole thing. But for the sake of time, let's sum it up as best as we can. And uh, realize that one of the first things he does, and he says, you know, I'm thankful for what God has done in, in you and through you and for you. He says, I want to pray something for you that you'd be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of Him. Now when that happens, the result of that is that you will be able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And it says to please Him in all respects. Now imagine being able to please God in all respects. We're not just talking about pleasing God in, uh, in your music. We're not just talking about pleasing God in uh, your job. We're not just talking about pleasing God in your relationships. In all respects, you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And it says, and, and now you can't do this by just trying harder. The, 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 the way this comes about is to be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. See, somebody can be, be the, you know, the hardest worker, the, the best trier that the world has ever seen, but unless you have the knowledge of His will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, you're not going to hit the mark. Without His grace, you can't hit the mark. So we need Him to hit His own mark, right? Now realize that you'll never, you'll never on this side of heaven do everything perfectly. And that's okay. God's not asking for you to do everything perfectly. He's asking you to do everything through Him. And here's what He says. He says that you will be strength, that you will be bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11 says that you'll be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. So the power you're strengthened with is not your power, but His power. His, it comes from His reserves, His vast reserves of might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us his works qualified us, not our own, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Now we've got three different words here. When we talk about the creation and everything that He's created, we see that everything was created by Him. Everything was created through Him. And everything was created for Him. That's really important. Because that is the order of creation. That's the point. That's the purpose of creation. And that's the way things were meant to be. Everything created by Him. Starting with Him. Everything created through Him. Through His strength. Through His might. Through His power. And everything for Him. That He's the goal. Now if we can make our life match this verse, things start to make a lot more sense. If you can align your life to match this uh, that, that, that you say He is the author. He is the beginning. He's the reason I do anything. He, everything is by Him. Then I can say, well, if, if He started it, I mean, we know that in Philippians it says that, that everything we do, it says it's God who's at work in you, both to will and to do the things that are pleasing to Him. So we know that everything is through Him. And then if I can say, well, I, I do everything because... Because He started it, and I continue through His strength. The whole reason I do it is for Him. If your life can match that, it's going to make a lot more sense. Things are going to start to click. And you realize that everything is about Jesus. That's why we were put here, is for, for God's pleasure, for His glory. Now, you see, a lot of people, you ask the question, why did God create human beings to start with? It wasn't to build cities. It wasn't to, you know, it wasn't to just to love other human beings, even though that's a big part of it. The ultimate purpose was all about Him and connection to Him and life through Him. We were always meant to be connected at the very core of who we are to God Himself, to the very source of life and light. Everything else 
is a part of that, is an extension of that. And so when, I, when we disconnect from that, like we did in the garden, when we disconnect from the source of everything and the point of everything, from the alpha of everything and the omega of everything, the beginning and the end and all that's in between, we disconnect from that, we get off the railroad track and we're off doing our own thing. And we really, according to the beginning of Colossians, it says that we get on to a different course and that course is the course of this world which is not according to God. This isn't God's course. It's according to the prince of the power of the air who is another way of saying Satan. There's two courses you could be on. The course of the world or God's course. And when you're on God's course, it starts with Him, it ends with Him, and everything in between is done through Him. That means every part of your life. You know what he says? Pleasing God in all respects. In all areas of your life. That, that, that we just quit for a minute. We quit, in fact, not just for a minute, for the rest of your life, quit making these little categories of your life that are separated into what's fun to do, what I have to do, what God wants me to do, what other people want me to do, and just live life as God made you to live it. When you're having fun, do it in the presence and power of God. When you're at work, do it for Him and through Him. When you're at church, do it for Him and through Him. If everything fits into one category, this is who I am, created by God, for God, and through God, then all of a sudden, boy, you begin to see the, the wonderful thread that's weaving throughout your whole life. He's been doing something in me, and He can do it if I'm in Hawaii. He can do it if I'm in the church. He can do it if I'm at home or if I'm at work. I don't separate my life into areas God's allowed or different people are allowed, and then God's not allowed in this area. People aren't allowed in this area. But I let Him in everything, and I make Him the point of everything. Now, this, this is something we all know up here. But subconsciously, if we really think about it, we've created categories where God is first place, second place, third place, fourth place, maybe even non-existent. We create different categories where He's the point of it all, like church, when we come together. Church is not meant to be your one encounter with God. Church is meant to be your encounter with each other. That doesn't even have to happen in this building. We are the church. We don't just have church. We are the church. And every day is meant to be an encounter with God. Every moment. So, but we're used to it. So when we come in here, what do we do? Come in those doors. We set our heart and our attention and our focus on God. We know this is about Him. We figured that out. Sunday morning, Wednesday night, is about Jesus. Right? Now, you all would, might argue with me and say, every moment is about Jesus. And I absolutely agree. But what kind of attitude, when you come here, we're thinking about Him. He's, he's the reason we do things. He's the reason we, we sing the songs. He's the reason we open our Bibles. He's the reason we pray. Now, when you go to work, do you go to this, with the same attitude that you had when you went to church? Maybe once or twice. <laughs> hey, we're getting better. But when you go to work, there are different motivations. There are different goals. There are different reasons you're there. But if we could make the reason we're at work is to do the same thing, the same reason we went to church, to glorify God, to worship Him with our life and actions, to spread His praise, boy, work would be a lot richer. When we go to the mall, now you go, how does God fit into buying stuff? If you listen to Him as to what to buy and what not to buy, who to talk to, how to do it, what, when to do it, where to do it, why to do it, all of these things, He is first place, then even that shopping trip is a great thing. Now listen to this. He's putting Him at, at the very top of everything. He is the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean... That doesn't mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean He's just the first one to be born because it says all things were created through Him and by Him for Him. Jesus has been since the beginning... But when we say firstborn, that means he is preeminent. He is, he comes first and everything. He's the, like the firstborn child in those days. He has all the rights, all the inheritance. It's all, it's all about him. It's all from him. He is the firstborn. He'll always be at the top of the class. It's him. He's the goal. 
And he's been here since the beginning. And he says, you look around at creation. Jesus isn't just a supplement to everything. Everything was created by him. Everything was created through him. And everything was created for him. And if you see it in any other way, you get messed up. The book of Romans, the first chapter says, don't you see, God, you look at the mountains, there's God. You, you look at the oceans, you looked at the prairies, you looked at the sky, and it says it showed His divine nature and attributes. You saw the very character of God by just looking around you. But then He said, men stopped giving thanks. They stopped thanking God for all these things. And he says he turned them over to the futility of their mind, the useful, uselessness of their mind. Just, just, to, just starting coming up with weird little theories on every, how everything happened and, and uh, hypotheses on, on what must have taken place. And they stopped giving God first place and it turned out that they, they really got way off track and they lost, they lost all sight of who he was and what he had done. And that's... That's what happened to humanity, but that's also what could happen to, to a lot of us. Now, I'm not saying we, we, we get off track and fall away completely. Of course not. But in the same way, when your life seems to be going in the right direction, it's pointed in the right direction, the best thing you can do is to continue to give Him thanks and realize that the reason I started this is Him. The way I'm able to do this is Him. And the goal of everything is Him. If everything becomes about Jesus... Everything finds its proper place. Everything. We, there are no exceptions, no loopholes to this. Everything. Because listen to this. He says, right after he says that he is the firstborn of all creation, and by, by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and un, invisible, and so on and so forth. It says in verse 17, he is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. If everything seems to be falling apart, figure out why it's falling apart. In Him, all things are held together. So that means everything in creation, all matter, all, everything is held by Him. And I don't mean to stretch this too much, but everything in your life is held together when it's in Him. He says this, He is also the head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning doesn't just say he was in the beginning like it says in John 1 he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead so that he himself listen to this will come to have first place in everything now we need to hit let that sink in really grasp what that means here's the deal he was the firstborn from the dead so that he himself that's Jesus will come to have first place in everything. First place in everything. Now he has first place in creation. He has first place in the heavenlies. He has first place in all authority. But does he have first place in everything in our life? I pray he will and he does. And when... I mean, look, he's earned this right. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's rescued you. He created you. And everything makes sense. That's a microphone. Everything makes sense when he has first place in everything. Every little thing of your life, every little area, if he's at the top of the pyramid, it makes sense. When he's not at the top of the pyramid, when he's like a Jenga block that you took from the top and you stuck it in the middle, or you took something else from the middle and you put it on top of Jesus, when that happens things start to get wobbly and shaky because he's not where he's supposed to be. He's the head. Do you know, every time, I mean, every time we look at the dominion, the authority of God, and we stand in our place having authority in this earth, having authority in spiritual places, having authority over evil spirits, the reason we have authority is because we're under his authority. Even the centurion said, I'm a man under authority. So I know what it's like to say, I say go and they go. I say come and they come. Do you notice the centurion didn't say, I'm a man of authority? He doesn't say, I'm a man who has authority. 
He says, I'm a man under authority. And because I'm under authority, I carry authority. Somebody who's not under the authority of God does not carry any authority. You can read all the books and read all the right words to say and the right scriptures to use, but if you are not submitted to God, it won't work. There's no abracadabra in this. You know the demons are, are afraid. They're subject to His name. And if someone came to you possessed by an evil spirit, you have every right to cast that evil spirit out in the name of Jesus. In your life and anyone else's life. The only way that works is if it's in His name, if you're under His authority. What did James say? Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Now you can quote the resist the devil and he will flee part till the cows come home, but if you haven't submitted to God, the devil doesn't have anything to run away from. Because really when he's running away, he's running away from who you are in Christ. Not who you are at work, not who you are in society, not who you are in your family, but who you are in Christ. So the only way I have any authority is if he has all authority. I'm a man under authority, so I can say go, and they'll go. Why? Because if that centurion went rogue, and he stopped obeying the generals, he stopped obeying the tribunes, and he just decided to do his own thing, those soldiers don't have to listen to him anymore. When he ceases to be under authority, he no longer has authority. It's us too. When we step out of the authority of Christ, we carry no authority. All of our authority is in Him. So everything in your life, you want it to fit, you want it to make sense, go back to this verse that everything, all things were created by Him. All things were created through Him. And all things were created for Him. So everything in my life needs to start with His idea. Needs to continue through His strength. And needs to be all for His glory. And when that gets in line, everything that I ever do is because He started it. Everything I ever do is because He's doing it through me. And everything I ever do is that He is the point. He's the reason I'm doing it. Then all of a sudden, everything you ever do has the hand of God on it. Has His authority, His blessing. Now read this. Remember, so in verse 18, just to recap, he said, He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. That's a good place for Him to be in everything. First place in everything. I want you to look in the next... Well, let's look in chapter 3. I'd love to spend a lot of time on chapters 1 and 2. But we are on a time limit. There's only so much time on a Wednesday night we have. So let's go to chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Doesn't matter how high you get, keep seeking the things above. Doesn't matter how knowledgeable you get, keep seeking the things above. What does it mean to seek? It's not passive, is it? If you're seeking for something, you're looking for it, you're going after it. You're, you're moving. Keep seeking the things above. And it says, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, the scripture, he just said, if you've been raised up with Christ. So we've been raised up with Christ. Now he says, seek the things above where Christ is. Now, if we've been raised up with Christ, if that's where Christ is, that's where we are, right? It says, because we've been seated with Him in heavenly places. You say, I feel like I'm down here, though. Well, you are. But positionally, He's placed you, as long as you're under His authority, as long as you're in Christ, you've been seated with Him through His work, through His blood, through His sacrifice, He raised you up with Him. And it says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind. Now, to set your mind, that requires some sort of effort. Set your mind on the things above, 
not on the things that are on the earth. So I've got to set my mind. That means I've got to choose to point it in a direction. I've got to choose to place it somewhere. When I set my mind, that takes some diligence, doesn't it? Your mind can wander. Your mind can want to think about all this. Your mind can think all these other things are important, but you have to set your mind. This is the one thing as believers uh, that we have to realize that no matter what the world taught you, you can control where your thoughts go. You can control where your hope is. You can control what you think about. Now, you can't control every single thought that goes into your head, but you can sure make sure it doesn't stay there for a long time. You could choose whether to entertain that or not. You know, Satan could put weird thoughts in your head. He, he, those temptations that he gave to Jesus, those are just like thoughts. You know, we don't know if he said it audibly, but when you're tempted, it's most of the time when you're tempted, Satan's not in your room talking to you. So even if he appeared audibly to Jesus, you know, we know a temptation is most often just a thought, just something that comes in your head. So the scripture doesn't say you'll never be tempted. But it says in every temptation, he, he provides a way of escape. And you don't stay in temptation because when you entertain that thought, it becomes lust. When the thought comes in, it's a temptation, and you can take authority over it, just like Jesus did. But when it stays there, you entertain it, you give it a home, you make a bed for it, you put it in the guest room, that's lust. And what is lust? Lust leads to sin. So you don't have to entertain that stuff. He says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. He says this, for you have died. Normally, that's not the happiest thing you ever read. Here, you've died. You're dead. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, that's great news. My life is hidden with Christ in God. This has two meanings. First meaning is this, that that's everything in your life, everything that's important, everything that's valuable is now in Him. That's where you find your life. The second meaning is this. Not everybody will get you. Not everybody will understand you. Your life is hidden in Christ. He's your goal. He's the first. He's the middle. And He's the last of everything. We, we think about this. and We know this. And I, believe, I don't think any of you sit here and go, I've never thought of that. That Jesus should be first place in my life. We've all thought about that. But I believe God's bringing us to a place where that is more of a reality than it's ever been, where we genuinely think about Him in every area and let Him into every area. I believe this is something that when we really make it a practical thing in our life, it's going to mess your life up a little bit. It'll fix your life, but it'll mess it up at first because we've kind of developed patterns and habits and schedules around a bunch of other things and uh, when you make everything about him, things change. You're not going to look like your neighbor. If the whole goal is him, if the whole start, finish, and middle is him, you're not going to look like your buddy at work. You're going to do some things different. You're going to say some things different. You're going to have different reactions. You're going to have different hopes. You're going to have different dreams. You're going to have a different work ethic. Don't think this lets you off the hook. Well, I, I, don't have to have, I don't have to work as hard because my mind is on things above. Well, wait till we get to the end of this book and you'll find out that's not quite true. In fact, setting your mind on things above really puts your feet on the ground. Makes you more valuable on this planet because you know why you're doing it. The man who does his job for the money will do the minimum required to make that money. Or... He'll do a better job so he can get a promotion to make more money. But the man who does his job for something bigger will always go further than is required. If you're doing it for God, if you're doing it as unto the Lord, you'll do the best job you possibly could. It doesn't matter what they're paying you. It doesn't matter how your boss treats you. You're doing it for the Lord. He'll get your best. And you'll act like you... You'll, I mean, you'll, you'll work as if you're being paid $3 million a day just because you're doing it for the Lord. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
when Christ, who is our life, He doesn't just have it, He is it. He is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly bodies dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So these are the whole big motivations that the world has. You look at the motivation of what most of them do anything for, it's included in this verse. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. Which amounts to idolatry. Why is it idolatry? Because you're putting something above God. Anything above God is an idol. It doesn't matter how sweet and innocent it is. If you put it above God, it's no longer sweet and innocent. And it says this, For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self. I've put on the new self. who has got different motivations, different source, different life. Put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all, so there is no racism in the body of Christ, because when you're in the body of Christ, you recognize that no one is better than the other if we're in Christ. There's no class warfare. There's no judgment based on what you're wearing or what job you have or what family you came from. If you're in Christ, that's what I see. You're defined by Christ. You're included in Christ. And he says this. So those who've been, as those who've been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Do you hear that? Let it richly dwell within you. When something is rich, it's full. It's it's, it's sometimes overwhelming. I can tell you this because it's Christmas time and I've ate a lot of things that I can only have one bite of because they are so rich. Can you imagine what it's like for the Word of Christ to richly dwell within you? That kind of applies to me that it's pushing everything else out. Like the Word of Christ is richly dwelling in me. It's kind of saturated in everything. It's filling every little part and every cavity and every crack and every corner. The Word is filling it seems like the whole reason you do anything now is for Jesus. It's because of His Word. It's because of His life. Everything was f- created by Him, for Him, through Him. And f- Sorry, I, I skipped those around. By Him, through Him, and for Him. So everything in my life has got to start with Him. It's got to be done through Him. And it's got to be done for Him. Doesn't matter. We try, the minute we hear that, we try to find loopholes. Well, I can't be talking about this because how can I make that about Jesus? Believe me, there's a way. And if there's not a way to make it about Jesus, don't do it. You know? Anything in your life that you do should be about Him. Now, does that mean you never have fun? Absolutely not. You have fun. God created you to enjoy life. But you can do that by Him, through Him, and for Him. And if you can't, it's probably not something you should be doing to start with. If you can't imagine God going with you or sitting with you to watch that movie, don't watch the movie. If you can't imagine God going into that place, whether you like it or not, He's going because you're there. Do you want to drag Him into that place? Are you comfortable with Him walking in this place? No? Well, then don't do it. Here's the easy thing. And you know what? Life gets better. Life gets better when you go snorkeling with God. Life gets better when you play your instrument with Him. Life gets better when you go to work with Him. Life gets better when you have coffee with a friend, with God sitting at the table. Life gets better when everything is about Him, when everything is through Him, and when everything is for Him. 
when he starts the conversation, ends the conversation, and carries on the conversation. Life is really, really good. So let his word richly dwell within you. That means it's supposed to take over. It's supposed to kind of take over everything. You're meant to be consumed because our God is a consuming fire. It's okay to be consumed. Where there's not a section of you, there's not a part of you that's not smelling like him, that's not looking like him, that's not saturated with him. Shouldn't be any area of your life that doesn't smell like Jesus. That doesn't carry his, his essence, his fragrance, his life in it. If there is, let him in the door. Maybe he comes in and he, maybe he comes in and paints the place. Maybe he comes in and treats it like the temple in Jerusalem and throws some stuff out. Maybe he comes in with a whip, but it's okay. It's for your own good. Thank God. Threw out the money changers because they're a bunch of greedy cheats that were cheating everybody out of their money, taking advantage of people in the house of the Lord. If he comes in with a whip, he'll take things out of your life that have been cheating you for years. Thank God. You don't want them in your life. <laughs> Man. This is all great in theory. But it's really, really exciting in real life. In theory, this is cool. But in real life, it is a thrill ride. If we would just say, take over. I pray that 2012 will be a year where we can say, take over. I'm not just saying, okay, I'll lift my hands in church. I am saying, take over my job. And if you want me to quit, I'll quit. If I went to school with education to be a doctor, and God said, work at 7-Eleven for 10 years, work at 7-Eleven. It's the best thing you could do. If you've been working at 7-Eleven, you're 55 years old, and He says, go to medical school and become a doctor. Do that reevaluate everything and figure out did he tell me to do this if not ask him should i be doing this and and you only are allowed to ask that question here's the here's the caveat you are only allowed to ask that question if you'll accept whatever answer he gives you otherwise don't even bother it is only the unbiased mind that truly hears the voice of god you can only hear god's will when you go to him and you get rid of yours do you know how many times we go to God and we, we go, God, I want to know what you say about this. And you're really hoping he says one thing. <laughs> you know, you're just like, God, God, what do you want me to do? But you just, you have weighted the scale so heavily on one side. You're like, but I know what you're going to say, right? Please say this, God. And you look for signs everywhere that God says, oh, there, there's, a, there's a dove on my calendar, on the wall. You're speaking. Oh, I get this. The best way to hear from God is to empty yourself of all, all goals and agendas and just say, what do you want? What do you want? And that only comes from truly trusting that He loves you. Truly trusting that He cares for you more than you care about yourself. He likes you better. You can be the biggest egotist in the world. He still likes you better than you like yourself. And if you trust Him that way, you can come with an open mind and say, whatever. Whatever you want. Now he says this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart in which you were called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Listen to this. Whatever you do in word or in deed. So you know when you speak, apparently that's doing something. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all. In the name of the Lord Jesus. That means for Him, by Him, and through Him. Giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Now listen, he starts talking about family relationships. It might say family relations in your Bible. He's not changing the subject. Same topic, same letter. He says, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. He does not say women, be subject to men. Wives to husbands. Did you know God created them equal? But in the family, there are roles. That doesn't make one better than the other because we're not meant to be unequally yoked. You've got to be equal. 
there's just a different role. So he says, be subject to another. If you, if you question what that means, go to Ephesians and look at the part where it says, be subject to one another. All of you in the church, be subject to one another as under Christ. If you think it's about domination, you're going to have a real problem. If you think it's about control, you're going to have a real problem. We're all meant to be subject to one another. So when he says wives subject to your husbands, he's not saying, husbands, you get to control your wives. He's saying, treat it like I've told you to treat it. Treat it like Christ in the church and realize that I've put this man, flawed as he may be, in a role in this body. And your job is to be his partner, not his slave, not his servant, but his partner. Give him that role that he's meant to have, which is the head. Doesn't mean the boss, means the head. It's different. Anyways, we won't spend too much time on that. As is fitting in the Lord. Do you hear that? In the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey your masters on earth. Whoa, 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 he lost me here. Slaves, obey your masters? I thought God was against slavery. Now, first of all, this is the Roman Empire. This is the Roman Empire, which was built on slavery. You wonder how, the, how Rome had money to send armies all over the world, to build palaces, to build uh, governor's mansions all over the empire? How did they, how did they have the money to do that? One word, slavery. Slavery was their economy. And every time they went a new place, they brought slaves home. And those slaves were dispersed. That's how Rome ran. Rome ran on slavery. And you look at the New Testament, how many times the letters that, they, that the Apostle Paul or Peter or somebody else writes, and they, they talk to the slaves directly. And people go, why would you talk to those guys? Why are you even addressing them? The early church was the first place that these slaves had any value. And when they're mentioned in the scripture, it's because they were an important part of the church. The early church was built. I mean, you had a bunch of, you had noble people, you had people working in the palace, and you had slaves. And remember, just the chapter before, he says, in Christ, there's not a difference between that slave and that man who owns a thousand slaves. There's no difference. So God was the first one to give these people any value. They had value in Him. And yet He says, be subject to your masters. <coughs> he says, obey them on earth. Not with external service or just in the flesh. That means just doing the job, but in the inside, hating it. Hating them and, and just, just with a bad attitude. He says, not with external service or, or just to be seen. Just lip service or eye service. He says, as, the, as with those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now why? In another place in the New Testament, he tells us why. He says, by this way, you'll win your masters to the Lord. You'll show them what Christ has done in you. Is God saying slavery is okay? Absolutely not. In fact, he just finished saying there's no difference between a slave and a master. They're equal in the sight of God. Given no man a right to own another man. And yet he says, but if you're a slave, here's what you do. Obey, but not just like everybody else does. Everybody else just does it when the master's around. They do, what's, they do it to be seen. He says, you do it with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. You do it for Him. Suddenly, this slave has value again. Think about it. You're working for this master. What happens if you don't do what he says? He beats you. He whips you. You get punished. There's no reward for doing well. Maybe there's the reward of maybe getting promoted. Maybe when he dies, he puts in his will that you can be free. But if you're working under the Lord, there's rewards. If you're working under the Lord, there's value. If you're working under the Lord, your work is just as important as the doctor down the street. The slave all of a sudden has a reason for doing what he does. You, you see what God has done? God has just liberated this man. No longer are you just working because someone made you work. Now you can work as though you're working for God. 
That's huge. He says, but do it with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Don't just do it to be seen. Don't just do it with outward works. Do it with your heart. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. You do it for the Lord. Whatever you do, you do it with everything you have because it's for God. I work for God now. I don't do it for men. When I do it for men, I do the minimum of what I need to get by. When I do it for the Lord, I give everything I have. When I do it for men, I do it so that they see me, so that, so that they'll know I'm doing a good job, so I don't get punished. But when I do it for God, I do it for His pleasure, and I have His strength and life and joy. And all of a sudden, it all makes sense. He says this, whatever you do, He says, do it heartily. It's unto the Lord, not, not for men, but for God. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Do you see what he just said? You're getting credit for everything you do, slave. That man took away your power. He took away your freedom. He took away everything that was valuable to you. And he told you, all you're going to do is you're going to work and you're not going to get anything from it. You'll get your life and that's it. But now God has said, you work, now you don't work for him, you work for me. And I'll reward you. And I'll pay your wages. God just liberated this man. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. In verse 25. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he's done. And with that, without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness. Now when he says justice and fairness, that sounds like he just says treat them nice. But if you dig into what he's really saying, dig into the language, he's speaking of giving them a fair wage. He's not saying you're, you're allowed to just use this man and just don't whip him a lot. He's saying you need to pay everybody a fair wage. That's justice and fairness. Knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Uh-oh. But a bunch of, maybe some slave owners got nervous when they read this. I've got a master in heaven. And when I get there, he's going to say, why did you treat my kid like this? Who gave you the right to do that? So he says, if you're going to be a boss, let's put it that way. If you're a boss, treat your workers with fairness because you're ultimately working for the big guy. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the words that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned that I may make it clear the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you respond to each person. We're going to stop there for a moment and try to sum up what we've read. Here's the deal. We read at the very beginning, all things created by Him, through Him, for Him. He is the firstborn of all the dead, so that He may come to have first place in everything so really when everything is created by him for him through him this means and I, got, I know I got those mixed up that's okay this means that he is the motivation he's the source he's the goal We talked about this before, but He's got to be the source of everything in your life. When He is the source of the love that you need, when He's the source of your joy, then you don't go looking for, for people to fulfill these things. When He's your source of encouragement, you don't need someone else to come along and compliment you. The world goes around recycling old emotions. If someone treats me nice, I have something nice to give back to them because they made me feel good. What would he say? If a waitress is having a bad day, give her a break. You don't know how she's been treated, right? Well, that's wise, because you don't know. She may have had a really hard day. But you know what? If you're a waitress, here's something even better for you. No matter how you've been treated, if you can truly let God be your source, people can say you're ugly, people can say you're a loser, people can say you're stupid, and you know what He says about you, it doesn't matter what they say. And instead of recycling the junk that people dumped onto you, they're not the source for you. You've been drinking of the wellspring of life. Not that old jacuzzi of emotion that society has where it's been sitting and cycling around for so long. You're, you're looking to God for your life. You're looking to God for the love. What does First John say? We love 
Because He first loved us. We don't love because they love us. We don't love because they treat us good. We don't love because we've had a good day. We love because we've been loved. And because He loved us, I've got love to give to you. And I don't care how you treat me. I don't care what you do to me. I don't care what you say to me. I don't care if you betray me. I don't care if you punch me. I don't care. I can still love you because my love didn't come from you to start with. I don't need anything from you. I need everything from him. When that happens, you can live like Jesus who was rejected, who was forsaken, who was hated, despised, mistreated, tortured, abused. And everything that pours out of him is love. And when he's on the cross, he says, please don't put this on their account. Forgive them. You can live this way if God becomes your true source. But he becomes your motivation. He's the reason you started doing anything. He's the author. Then he's, everything is through him. He's, he's the strength when you do it. And then he's the goal. Everything's for him. He's the reason I'm doing it. I mean, that's the end goal as I'm doing it is unto the Lord. Work changes, doesn't it? If God can say this to slaves, that's probably the worst job you could have, being a slave. It's probably the worst boss you could have. You probably don't have an excuse, even if you have a jerk for a boss or a terrible job, you probably don't have an excuse to have a bad attitude anymore, do you? Because you're not working for them anyways. And you can come to work with a smile on your face no matter how lousy your job is because you're doing it for Him. Everything's for Him. Everything's through Him. So what does this take? This takes a total reevaluation. You need to sit down across the desk from the rest of your life and realize that I've got to evaluate everything I do. 2012, here's a project for you. Here's some homework. <laughs> this is going to be quick. Reevaluate everything. Right? That's going to take 20 minutes. Come on. <laughs> I mean it. Every little bit, every, you know, every little while, you've got to sit down and reevaluate every single thing you do and say, why am I doing this? What was the beginning of this? What is the end of this? What's the goal? Is the goal to get some more money? It's not really a good goal. Is the goal to get more friends? Not really a good goal. Is the goal to get more influence? Not really a good goal. Is the goal to uh, finally get to move to California? Not really a good goal. What's the goal? If you can say, well, the goal is that I glorify God. The goal is that I do it just as he told me to do it, and his kingdom is expanded and grown in my own life and in others. Thank God. If he's the beginning of it, if he's the end of it, and then everything's done through him. I mean, sometimes you start things for the right reason. Sometimes you're still doing things for the right reason. But you started doing it on your own. It's easy to do that. I know because I happen to do something full time that, that requires effort and it requires prayer. And it usually starts out, I, you see a lot of ministers start out with great intentions and good goals. And somewhere along the line, they shift from doing it in the full strength of God to their own strength and they get burnt out even though they've got the right idea even though they've got the right goals they're no longer doing it through him and you don't have the strength to carry out the vision so can we do this this year reevaluate it all and know that if anything's going to make sense in my life if anything's going to work it's got to be just as this verse said, it's got to start with him, by him. It's got to be done through him, and it's got to be done for him. If things don't fit into that category, stop doing it. And you know what? You know what? I realize that this is all stuff we've heard, and this is stuff that's not the, probably the first time you've ever heard it preached. But, you know, you can read all the books about seven keys to making your dreams come true and 11 steps to getting uh, being the head and not the tail and, and, and the secret to prosperity and, and, the, and, the, and the, the formula to healing and all of these things. But you know what? None of it works if Jesus isn't the goal and first place and everything else. If He's not in the right spot, I don't care what formula you have. 
If he's not in the right place, I don't care how many steps you have and how many authors and how many books you've read. It doesn't work if he's not at the top. It just won't work. That, I mean, any book that's ever been worth its salt on any topic will ultimately at some point come down to this very core. Jesus has to be first. If he's first in my finances, my finances will be okay. Now, I'm not saying it never fluctuates. I'm never saying you, you don't ever, like Paul said, walk through a time where you really got to depend on him. But you never have to worry again. You know he'll take care of you. And you'll be blessed. Why? Because he's, he's in charge. He's the accountant. He's got access. He's got my pen. He can go do whatever he wants to do. He can tell me to give 1,100, 1 million, and I'll do it. Now, if he can do that, then you can trust him. Because the Apostle Paul said, I know in whom I have believed, and I know that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him. Now, if I let God fully into my relationships, my marriage... Uh, you know, when I have a child, I let him into that, let him into my friendships, let him into all these things, and put him at the top, above your spouse. This is a weird paradox, but if you put Jesus above your spouse, you'll be able to love your spouse a lot more. Because then, you don't need your spouse to do the right thing to react the right way. When, you put, when you're doing it for Jesus, when you're loving with the love, remember he said, forgive as he forgave you. And it doesn't matter what your spouse does. You have nothing but love and forgiveness for them and grace for them because you've received it. When you put Jesus at the top, you'll be a way better spouse. When you put Jesus at the top, you'll be a way better parent. When you put Jesus at the top, you'll be a way better worker. When you put Jesus at the top, you'll be a way better boss. When you put Jesus at the top, you'll be a way, way better friend. He's got to be at the top. So here are the three areas to establish. Just like we read, we're taking it straight from the Scripture. He has got to be the start of it, the motivation for it. It had to be His idea. And if it's not His idea, and you started it, you say, I did this before I even knew any better, then find out if it's His idea. He may have been working behind the scenes, and despite your ignorance, through His mercy, set you up in the right place. Find out if it's His idea. Step two, find out if you're doing it through Him, by His strength, by His power. Step three, find out if it's for Him, if the end goal is Him. You know, and that's what we're going to focus on tonight. The beginning, the middle, the end, if it all is about Him. If my end purpose and goal in life is just Him, Life makes sense. Everything makes sense if it's just about Him. My whole, the end goal, the end purpose, I don't care if they give me the promotion. It's about Him. You know what? Those kind of people are usually the people that do get the promotion. But what if God said, Barry, they offered you that promotion, but you're right where I want you to be. If you're in the world, you take that promotion because it's all about money or power or esteem. But if you're following God, you know He's able to make up the difference in the paycheck. You just stay where He tells you to stay. Maybe the next promotion comes along way better than the first one. It starts with Him, it ends with Him, and it's done through Him. It's just that simple. I know it sounds really simple in theory, but it's, it's the most thrilling thing when you make it practical in your life. Reevaluate everything. And watch what he can do with your whole life. Amen. Just stand up.